0: Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpey and Peter Torpey. Hello, I'm
1: Nancy. And I'm Pete. Services for the blind and visually impaired vary a great deal around the world from country to country. This week, we'll be talking about two very different countries.
0: We'll speak with Paul Mugambi, a trainer and advocate for people with vision loss, who grew up in Kenya and is now living in Australia. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes
2: from Paul. I would like just to encourage other blind persons all over the world to uplift other blind persons, make an impact so that we can reach the same level in terms of knowledge and skills. And, you
1: know, we should all be reaching for as much as we can reach for.
0: And you'll hear more details on what Paul meant by this statement as we listen to the rest of the show. But right now, instead of our regular breaker tune, we're going to play a tune of his in which he captured his attitude about having a disability, not meaning that you are incapable in a tune called disability that is available on his website
2: disability is not inability disability is not inability disability is not disability is not
1: disability is not inability
0: isn't that the truth Let's start by meeting Paul and learning about his background.
2: My name is Paul Mugambi. I'm a blind person from Kenya, coming from a humble background and having lost my eyesight in 1997, 27th October, through an accident whereby I was knocked by people who were fighting, and then I got some wrong medication. And uh, 20 years, I'm living to be blind And I'm enjoying it to be blind, though with much challenges.
0: Were you an adult when you had the accident?
2: I was uh, just 15.
0: Oh, boy. So you had to finish high school blind, whereas you had had all of your prior
2: schooling sighted. Correct. Although I had at least an idea of uh, where blind schools are at that time, and I was connected and I was able to really learn and uh, use Braille as usual since it's the most common available mode of communication in Kenya. And we'll talk
1: about some of your specific advocacy work for the visually impaired and other accessibility concerns in Kenya later on in the show, but tell our listeners what
2: you do now. Currently, I'm... a student in Australia attending a scholarship. They saw so the, my potential in terms of leadership and the advocacy work which are done in Kenya uh, in terms of uh, uplifting advocate persons with disabilities in terms of advocating for their rights and linking them with the relevant authorities in terms of service delivery and also potential rights based individuals who can fight for their rights.
1: Well, maybe towards the end of the show, we can talk a little bit about the comparisons between what you've seen for the visually impaired in Australia versus what you've experienced in Kenya.
0: And we will. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 This week's focus topic is what conditions are like for the blind in Kenya and Australia and some of the work Paul is doing to improve the situation.
1: So in your introduction, you talked about being blinded suddenly at the age of 15. Was your vision normal before
2: that? I had some slight problem with eyesight, but it was not the way now I'm totally blind. So this incident at 15
1: uh, made a real change in your life then. That must have been a very difficult transition.
2: Correct. It was very difficult because it was a moment whereby you lose your friends, you lose your network. Everyone now thinks that you are a burden, all that thing. And uh, also change of terrain, environment. So it was very difficult and quite challenging. It was not easy. I'll bet. Now, in the U.S., you know, we have lots of support
1: services, both from uh, volunteer organizations, from the government, and there's lots of efforts in the U.S. to uh, help the visually impaired. And I take it that wasn't the case in Kenya.
2: Uh, It's a challenge because uh, we don't have uh, many such programs within our area because they're not funded well, and uh, one which exists does not have the capacity so what happened with me is that uh, I had to join a school for the blind and just uh, cope and then find some survival mechanism. So I, I, I was never trained on anything on uh, rehabilitation or counseling, something of the sort, because of the challenges. And also by that time, I could not even afford such services. My parents could not afford to take me to maybe a, a rehabilitation school, something of the sort. So... It it became a big challenge, so I had to find some coping mechanism and have a hard skin. At the School for the Blind, I assume there probably
1: was not one in your community. You probably had to go far away to live at a School for the Blind. Is that right? Correct. And what did they
2: teach you there? Just normal teaching of school and uh, using Braille. And other subjects, nothing more. I personally trained myself on usage of the weight canals. I was just given, and then I trained myself with others because uh, many blind people are there. So I had to survive just like any other person. You gain your own confidence, and uh, since you're seeing other blind persons are able to walk, you join the wagon and uh, build your confidence there. Was there any one person in particular who
1: motivated you and told you you can do these things and what opportunities were out there?
2: Yeah, the headmistress was uh, supportive and uh, she really challenged me by just telling me that you've been able to pursue your education in primary and now you cannot lie low because of being blind. And uh, she really give me the support when I had challenges, she used to look for me and advise me more.
0: Oh, that's so special, having a mentor who can encourage you and pride you and and keep you going in your studies. You know, it's got to be tempting to quit once in a while.
1: But it also takes a lot of motivation on your own part. So what happened after your couple of years at the blind school? What did you do
2: after that? After that, I I was able really to, because I went back to the community, I saw the challenge of being blind within the community. I had to look for odd jobs to do a little bit, to teach here and there, and I found out that even within the community, the blind are not uh, wanted. So I had to move away from my home area and go to a town where blind people are at least People have an idea of being blind and uh, given the opportunities. So I started now joining the Civil Society for Persons' Abilities. In that time, when I joined campus. And uh, while well, at it is when we were demanding persons' abilities or demanding for the enactment of Persons' Abilities Act, which was not there, so I joined and uh, I was able really to be one of those guys who are pushing the agenda because I had now the experience of being discriminated, the experience of not uh, having my rights being recognized or lack of service, support services, ETC. So we pushed for that.
0: That's pretty much what you've been doing ever since. Your position now that you're long done with your education involves providing services and advocating for services for the visually impaired, correct?
2: Yes.
1: That's so important. So you talked about this organization, Compass, and I'm not familiar with that. Can you
2: describe to our listeners what that organization is, what they do? Oh, I was talking about the university where I was, the university, Kenyatta University. That's where I started my advocacy then I joined the Blind and Low Vision Network, whereby I continued with my advocacy work and also the Umbrella Body for Persons' Abilities, United Disabled Persons of Kenya. And uh, later on, I joined the Society for Professionals with Visual Impairment, whereby I was able to chair and uh, lead a team of professionals to present different petitions to different organizations and government, so that they can recognize issues of blind persons, and uh, that one has really helped in terms of making the government, creating awareness and also ensuring rights of blind persons are known. So what kinds of specific
1: advocacy did you have to do or access
2: problems did you run into that needed addressing? Okay. During that time also we had issues with sports for visually impaired. I had also to be a leader in terms of uh, making sporting for the blind to be known within our country because blind persons were not participating especially at the university level and colleges and uh, it led to starting of competition among blind people because they are not being recognized or being involved in all such activities so it's also a big area for advocacy which has taken place in kenya
0: so are there now legal protections for people with visual impairments and other disabilities?
2: We just have a National Disability Act, plus the government was, was able to ratify and sign the UNCRPD, mm-hmm. and currently we are, the Kenya government is reviewing the Visually Impaired Act, which was made in 1958, which was based in charity model, but now... It's being worked on so that it can become more of a right-based approach, whereby the government will take responsibilities of service delivery for the blind. And we are still waiting for the government to act on executive order or, or on the petition which we we launched about the usage of the white cane, whereby we wanted the government to recognize the white cane, and uh, within some particular. Laws like the Traffic Act, we have tried to really put input of uh, blind and visually impaired persons so that when the police are dealing with it, when they see the white cane, they are able to recognize or even the drivers are able to recognize. So it's an ongoing process.
0: We just moved across the country and Pete's been using his white cane More in our new community in Golden, Colorado, outside Denver than he used to in Rochester, New York. And I swear nobody's ever seen one before. (laughs) You know, the kids don't know to get out of the way. Some of the grown-ups don't know to get out of the way. There's got to be other blind people around here. But you just don't see the kind of reactions that you would expect from people who are used to seeing somebody with a white cane.
2: What happens within our country is that uh, many people are not aware about the white cane for sure. When you are walking on the road, they might start even to talk behind you and say, look at this blind fellow who is walking. They are surprised. Sometimes they also think that a white cane has some miracle or magic in in it so that um, they really don't understand the importance of it.
1: Well, part of it is education, as you indicate people have to be made aware of these differences and how visually impaired people may interact with their environment. And part of it is legislation to help with the resources and adaptive aids that they need for doing their jobs and becoming uh, professionals and contributing to
2: society in different ways. Correct. And uh, on top of it is also availability of such aids because even the white canes are not readily available. We, in Kenya, we normally or get donation from different organizations or individuals. So it's just a big challenge.
1: So it sounds like for a number of years, you've worked with various organizations and played various roles in trying to change conditions for the visually impaired in Kenya. Can you talk about kind of specifically how life has changed since you started these efforts?
2: What an impact it's had on the lives of the visually impaired? A few of the milestones which I can really admire or recognize enactment of affirmative action in universities for persons' abilities. It was a really struggle because uh, not many blind people or visually impaired person can be able to score at the same level with other students who are sighted. So I really pushed for that agenda education. And currently many blind people are able to access the universities in terms of achieving the minimum grade which is required. Plus, also the universities have started now to improve the university environment in terms of accessibility of the environment. Another milestone is uh, seeing young persons like me or those who have been following me really coming up and also challenging the status quo and participating in advocacy work and demanding for their rights. That's biggest impact. Secondly, is also the issue of mentoring other young persons in terms of where they are, especially in the school level, showing them that as much as they are facing challenges, as we face more, it to be better. Uh, lastly, is also the parents of persons who are visually impaired; they are also trying to come up, although there is no that strong network, because we want also them to be participant and also talk about their children, because they also face. The, challenges within their communities and their school environment.
1: So it sounds like you've opened up not only awareness to the larger community of concerns of the visually impaired, but you've opened up opportunities in terms of education and leading on
2: to employment opportunities for the visually impaired. Correct. Through that, also, another impact is that I was the first blind person to, when I was after the university, I was looking for a job at one of the communication companies in Kenya. And then I was denied the opportunity. After being denied the opportunities, I used that one to my advantage. And uh, I happened to threaten to sue the company. And the company now started to employ blind persons and other persons with disabilities. Although I never got the opportunities, but I really loved to see at least 60 persons with disabilities being employed by the company. Just because of the simple move which I made.
1: That sounds like a real change in a positive direction then correct. What do you think the major hurdles are then to making
2: more progress? It's the attitude which people have about blind persons and persons' abilities in general. There's a lot of ignorance and uh, cultural practices and discrimination which really contribute towards this progress. And what other laws or support from the government would you like to see? Wow, that's an interesting one. I would like to see the government giving us duty-free or helping us to get assistive devices at a cheaper rate, whereby they can exempt taxes or they can also buy for with ability so that they can be able to bridge the gap between the blind person and those who are not blind in terms of access to technology, whether it is software or hardware.
0: So that's a very interesting point you just raised. In order for a blind person to be able to do some of the things that a sighted person does, it does require additional assistive technology. You know, If you think about interacting with a computer, if you can't see the screen, you need some other mechanism of doing that. What is the level of access to technology like in Kenya?
2: For the blind person, it's very low. But in terms of uh, persons who are not blind, it's very high. For so It's a challenge for many blind persons to access due to lack of uh, the technology, both hardware and software. I take it most visually impaired people
1: now, if they need a screen reader or braille display to interact with their devices, they need to purchase that equipment themselves, or is this provided for by the government?
2: They need to purchase for themselves. The government does not take the responsibility. Majority cannot afford
0: I would imagine that for people who are aware of it, some of these free shareware services are a big help, like NVDA, for example.
2: A a few have been able to get into NVDA, yes. Uh, Something else which is also a challenge is that we don't have training sites in Kenya Whatever we have is just a small government or a place whereby you have to pay for it, and uh, it is a lot, and many blind people cannot even afford. So I guess
1: the cost can be a problem, and also the fact that there aren't these facilities around. Uh, People are often on their own in terms of learning, it sounds like. Correct. Now, you've been uh, studying in Australia for some time. That has to be quite a difference from being in Kenya. Can you contrast the two societies a bit in terms of support for the visually impaired?
2: Australia, they are way ahead in terms of uh, accessibility, Uh, in terms of the support mechanism. I've never experienced such. It is very magnificent in terms of... uh, Provision of uh, assistive devices. It's my first time whereby I've been able to use a Victor Stream. I used just to read it on the internet. So it's also a big opportunity. So,
1: for our listeners who don't know, the Victor Stream is a portable reading device that can read almost any kind of material and give you some kind of access to information.
2: Correct. And when we have a support mechanism in terms of academic skill, teachers who are supporting, which is not available back in my country, and also they have the accessibility inclusion team who can support, it's not available. I really love the the way they are doing things here. They make things possible in terms of uh, transport, their buses, whereby blind people don't pay transport. They use a, there is a government of Australia offers some exemption for blind passengers and other persons with disabilities, so they are able to access transport easily. And the buses are even accessible, whereby in my country it is a nightmare for a blind person even to go by himself by any transport. Now that you've seen how different things can be in another
1: part of the world, how do you think this will impact what you do when you go back to Kenya after your
2: education? To start with, I think I'll face a culture shock for a while. It will take time for me to really acclimatize that I'll be back in. I'm back in Kenya, and uh, I'm not experiencing again the the nice things in Australia. But one thing for sure, I will impact share the experience and also help to bring policies which are more oriented towards uh, ensuring that the blind people enjoy the different services. And uh, I hope one day that uh, I can uh, network with some of these companies around here so that uh, they can help us to reach out to to ensure that we have such opportunities within Kenya.
1: Well, sometimes change happens slowly, but you know, people like you can really affect what happens and what direction things go in. So I wish you a lot of success. Sure, sure. Helping those changes happen in Kenya.
0: And sometimes just knowing what's possible makes it easier to make it happen. So this trip to Australia sounds like it will have a big impact on not just you, but the rest of Kenya in the future.
2: Correct. I'm hoping that through this experience, I think it will also help me to really change many individuals or perceptions about uh, development and also progress in terms of real making things to happen for persons who are visually impaired.
0: was also not our usual breaker tune. It was Don't Cry that Paul wrote, performed, and produced, and then posted on his website. So now for this week's final item, how you can contact Paul and how you can get more information about his advocacy work and his music.
1: So if people would like to connect with you to ask some more questions, to network,
2: how can they get in contact with you? I have an email address that is... S H A M G P A U L at Gmail.com I also have a website ww.mu G A M B I P A U L dot com and I would like also to make an appeal to fellow blind individuals who are listening or even companies uh, in case you are having older hardware which you're not using. Maybe the Braille Lamboza, your Victor Stream, some sort of equipment which can really help my fellow blind persons in Kenya. I'll be very happy to see how we can network and uh, help to uplift blind persons in terms of technology. And if people do have
1: some used equipment that they would like to see find a good home, can they contact you and you can
2: tell them how to get that over to Kenya somehow? Oh, correct. Okay, great. I'll give them definitely an address to send to Kenya. I still have uh, my active networks of the persons I I still work with.
0: Great. So for people who prefer this mechanism, do you have a social media presence?
2: Yes. Once you are able to log into my website, you still get my Facebook account, Mugambi Paul, CDS, and also on Twitter, at POF number one. So, we've been talking about your advocacy
0: work for a while. Can you tell our listeners how you got involved in the first
2: place? After being blind, I got an opportunity to join the university at Kenyatta University. That's where I started my big advocacy work, whereby there were no services for persons with a disability and especially the visually impaired persons. We used to sit on lecture halls without uh, braille papers, braille machine. So we had to uh, advocate for this right so that at least we can also enjoy learning uh, like other students. And that's how I was able really to be one of the persons who are making the voice of persons abilities be heard. Also in terms of lack of uh, accessible pavement, such things really agitated my advocacy work to start from that time and as our regular listeners know the show notes for each
1: episode contain all of the contact information and links you've heard in the audio portion of the show and that could be found at our website net. you know also if people would like to start a discussion about some of these topics they've heard in this episode about the different conditions for the visually impaired in various countries around the world, you might consider joining our discussion group. And you can do that by sending an email to EOS underscore discuss followed by the plus sign followed by subscribe at googlegroups.com. And once you join that list, you can post your own thoughts to share them with other listeners and connect with other people who enjoy Eyes on Success.
0: That's it for show number 1743. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about buying a rental property. Have you ever wanted to purchase a house either to live in or as an investment? Are you thinking that as a blind person, that might be a questionable thing to do? Well, think again. We'll speak with Anna Garza, who has been blind since birth, about her experiences buying a rental property and how she's making it work for her. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.EyesOnSuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and on Audioboom.com at on Success or Twitter at underscore on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.